0: Let's uh, bow down in in prayer, worship Yahweh, Father Yahweh. We come before you. We worship you, and here today we give you all praise and honor. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us. We uh, pray today for those who are sick, for those who are not well, uh, maybe recovering from COVID or some other illness. We pray that you'd be with them, that you would. You would uh, heal them, and they would experience a full and complete healing. You are Yabba Rafa. Father, we thank you now, and we give you all praise. We pray that the words spoken would be a blessing and would be uh, a help to many, and we thank you for the blessings you've given us, and we pray that your guidance would always remain here, and we ask this in Yashua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is uh, good to see everybody here today. I'd like to uh, extend a welcome to our guests and also to those online. You know, it's amazing to think that this ministry reaches so many people, and um, certainly even across the world, people from other continents watching. So uh, I'd like to, again, extend a special greeting to those watching online. Well, the last few months, uh, some of you are aware, many of you here locally, but we've been reexamining what leavening is from a biblical standpoint, a biblical perspective. For a moment, I want to explain the process we used, and it's kind of important to understand what we did, how we did it. In addition to um, Elder Allen and myself, we asked four seasoned brothers in the faith to assist with this endeavor. Those brothers were Jose Gonzalez, Randy Demet, Michael Bannick, and Josh Deck. And they uh, contributed greatly and were a blessing to this study. Everyone was given a month to review the evidence independently and then come back with their findings. And as a group, we reviewed, discussed, and came to a conclusion. What was amazing is that everybody who came back, which was all six, we came to the same conclusion, same definitions for what leavening was scripturally. In fact, I remember... um, Brother Michael saying something like, I, I've been doing this for 20 years or something to that effort, and, and uh, I've never understood leavening. So it was quite an epiphany for many of us, for all of us, really. So you, you may be asking, what sparked or motivated this study? And by the way, this message is going to be more of a Bible study in some ways. We're going to be delving into Scripture, delving in ma- mainly the Hebrew. You're going to hear comments and uh, see many, many times throughout this message and uh, I will guarantee that you will never forget seor or comets. You'll remember those two words forever, probably after this message. We're going to repeat and repeat and repeat again and look at all the different examples. But what sparked this discussion? Why did we pursue this endeavor of trying to understand what leavening is from a biblical standpoint? The answer is found in Leviticus 23, 13. I've seen this for years. I've had people ask about this, and and um, we decided it was time to review and try to understand and seek to uh, realize why there's a, if you will, a, uh, an issue with, with what we believe. So Leviticus 23 verse 13 says, And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by of fire unto Yahweh for a sweet savor, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine Wine. And the fourth part of it, this occurred, this occurred during their Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's really no dispute with that. Everybody agrees for the most part that the first fruit suffering, the wave sheath, took place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, one of the items mentioned here we've always prohibited during this feast, and that is wine. Wine. And um, the reason is, is we've always viewed wine as leavening is wine has what? Wine has yeast. All wine has yeast. Most wine you buy is all manufactured with, with yeast. You, you, you pour into it. But, but all wine has yeast, whether natural or something we, we uh, include. And uh, so it's a leavening agent. And again, from our standpoint, a leavening agent was leavening. And leavening, again, it was yeast. And yeast is in wine. And we find wine Here. So how can we reconcile this? How can we, how can we reconcile the fact that, that uh, we believe that leavening agents are leavening, if you will, and yet we find here within the word, during unleavened bread, that wine was used during the offering. Where well, the truth is we can't. We can't reconcile what we've believed here for 20 years and the evidence we find here now some may be saying is this really wine maybe this is something else I've heard that some question the the uh, wine here so let's dig a little bit into this wine the word wine is from the Hebrew yayin and wine is wine so Strong's defines yayin as wine as fermented so there he is fermented So it's not grape juice. Some say, is it grape juice? No, it's not grape juice. It is fermented by implication of intoxication. So for sure, we find here the definition of wine. The uh, Brown-Triver-Briggs Hebrew lexicon also defines this word as wine. So we find a secondary definition for wine. So we know this is wine mentioned here within this passage. And again, this took place when? During the first fruit suffering, the wave sheaf, during unleavened bread. And again, this was during those seven days where we're commanded to remove all leavening. And yet, we've believed for 20 years that leavening would include yeast, which yeast is within wine. So, again, how do we reconcile this? We can't. We really can't reconcile based on our definition of wine. We went back to the Hebrew and reviewed every example of how leavening is defined within Scripture. And again, those words would be seor and komets. Now, Kametz is also kamots, sometimes it's hametz, uh, pronounced differently, generally speaking it's kametz. so that is what I will use today. So this involved, again, every instance in the Hebrew, in both the, uh, the, the Tanakh and the uh, Torah, the Old Testament. To understand leavening, we must understand the meaning of these two words. It really comes down to what is the meaning of seor and kametz. So I want to begin today with Exodus 12, verse 15. And we find here both words are used. This is, seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven. Now, the word leaven is seor. Seor. We're going to spend a lot of time today focusing on seor. Out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread. Now, leavened bread there, that's something different. Leavened bread is comets. So you got seor and comets. From the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So we see this passage is referring to what? It's referring to the seven days of unleavened bread. It says here that during this time, we're to put away the leaven. We're to put away the leaven. We're to put, we're, we're to put away the seor from our homes. And also it says that we're to abstain from eating leavened bread. Leavened bread, komets. Notice that both seor and komets are used... Within this passage, now this does occur in other places, but this is really a foundational passage for Seir and Commets. I want to also point out here that it specifically mentions eating. Now we're going to see this as a trend as we go through the word. We're going to see in reference to Commets and unleavened bread that it's always in the reference of eating or something we bake. And again, I'll point that as, out as we go through this message. Remember, this time is called the feast of unleavened bread. Not the feast of Unleavened drink. And the uh, late elder Donald Mansager used to say that, and it's certainly true, I believe. I want to focus now on just the meaning of Seor. Just the meaning of seor. We're gonna very we're gonna dig down very deep with seor and understand what this means because again, this all hinges on seor and kamets And I will agree with Brother Michael, by the way, I don't believe I understood. I know I did not understand. C.E.R. and comets before this study. I don't believe any of us really did. And it was amazing the fact, again, that when we spent this time independently, nobody was was collaborating, was discussing this. In fact, they were so, uh, told not to discuss it because I wanted everybody to form their own opinions and come back and discuss it as a group. And when we sat down and discussed it, everybody brought back the same definitions for C.E.R. and comets. So it was very amazing in many ways. Okay, so let's... Dig into seawar. Seawar, Strong's, defines this term as barm, or yeast cake, as swelling by fermentation. Now, uh, barm is, for those um, maybe not familiar, here's how the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines this word. It says, a yeast form or fermenting on fermenting malt liquors. Now, what is the meaning of a yeast cake? Yeast cake. It's so important that we understand this concept, yeast cake. This is a reference to the sourdough starter that the Israelites would use to, to leaven their comets. This is what they would use to leaven their dough. And that's what seor refers to. Seor does not simply refer to a leavening agent. Seor refers to the sourdough starter. It refers to the yeast cake that the Israelites would use to then leaven their dough. You see, they would use a seor to produce comets. And that's a very important concept to understand. They used the ore to produce comets. They used this sourdough starter to produce the leavened bread. And that's how they leavened their bread. There was no Walmarts back then. There were no opportunities to buy your yeast packets. They had to do it the old-fashioned way. So they, again, would produce the starter dough, the ore, and would use a ore then to produce the comets or the leavened bread. Now, I want to, again, dig very deep with Seor and uh, because I'm asking everybody don't take my word for this consider the evidence so the Fawcett's Bible Dictionary here's here's what it says Seor, a lump of old dough in high fermentation so what does it mean in high fermentation it simply means that it is um, acidic, sour that is high in yeast if you will as, le- as uh, making it and leavening bread with it took time it takes time to Make a starter dough. Unleavened bread was used in sudden emergencies. It was forbidden in all offerings to Yahweh by fire. Now, we'll see there's some exceptions to this, but we find here that this reference defines uh, seor very specifically. It says that it refers to a piece of dough that is in high fermentation. This, again, is what we would call a sour dough or a starter. In fact, uh, Joshua Decky brought some starter, some sour dough to the meeting so that we can smell the sour dough and i has anybody ever smelled a sourdough starter it is sour it is very acidic and that's what we're talking about here when we say see or see starter it see sourdough starter it is not the leavening agent alone it is the leavening agent plus as we see the grain and this starter and this is the meaning again of a yeast cake it's that starter so this Starter would then be used again to make or produce comets. This starter would be used to make bread. Now, anybody who makes bread with a starter, sourdough starter, all of this is going to make sense to you. You're going to understand the concept of a sourdough starter and a uh, or bread, and we all understand bread. I want to stop here. It's a really good video, fairly good video. It's fairly short, two and a half minutes. But this lady explains from a scientific standpoint what is yeast, what is a starter. So I'm gonna show that now, um, if you want to do that, Lucas. And
1: For the past couple of months, I've been developing a bit of an obsession with sourdough bread. There's something about the magic of turning flour, salt, and water into a delicious loaf of bread that has me and now a lot of my friends completely hooked. The big intrigue of sourdough though is, of course, the starter. I feed mine religiously every morning, but I really have no idea what it is. I put blind faith in it every time I want to bake a loaf of bread that it'll turn out, but I really want to know what's actually happening in a sourdough starter. I'm a PhD student and I'm going to look into this the same way I would with my own research, with, of course, a literature review. And wow, for someone coming from a material science background, sourdough science is way over my head. From my understanding, the sourdough starter can be broken into two main players, the yeast and the bacteria. The bacteria are of the Lactobacillus genus, where a genus is just a group of a bunch of different species. These bacteria are called lactic acid bacteria, which scientists nickname lab. A common species of the more than 50 species that scientists have found present in different starters from all over the world is Lactobacillus sanfranciscensis. Try to say that five times fast. These bacteria feed on sugar and produce lactic acid, acetic acid, a bit of CO2, and sometimes ethanol. This acidic environment is what's responsible for the slight tartness of sourdough and is also what keeps bad bacteria from spoiling the dough while it's fermenting. It's also important for improving the bioavailability of important minerals like calcium, magnesium, and iron by decreasing the phytate content of the bread. This is important because phytic acid, in addition to being a pretty complicated looking compound, is highly charged, meaning it's very reactive. It's so reactive that it'll actually attach to the minerals in the bread instead of letting them become absorbed by the body. So it's essentially stealing our food. But thankfully, there's enough bacteria to take care of that. In fact, there are a lot of organisms in a sourdough starter. In just one gram, there are 1 to 3 billion colony-forming units, or CFU, of bacteria, and 1 to 50 million of the other very important player, yeast. Wild yeast, which is naturally present all around us in the air and on our hands, thrives in the acidic environment that the lactic acid bacteria produce. The yeasts are of the Saccharomyces and Candida genuses with more than 25 different species. During fermentation, these single-celled fungi break down the starch in the flour into sugar, giving off carbon dioxide and ethanol.
0: Okay, we could go more. She talks uh, about her starter and making bread, and I thought I would stop it there though. So what are some of the takeaway points from the video? Number one, wild yeast, it says it's all around us. In fact, it's even in us. Number two, a starter is formed when the yeast breaks down the starch and the flour into a sugar, then producing the carbon dioxide. This is how then we then see the bread puff up or rise. So uh, she did a much better job than I could have uh, explaining that. But that's the process of of leavening. In fact, the word leaven comes from the Latin. And it comes from the Latin, levere, meaning to uh, raise. And that is the meaning of leaven or leavened. It's something that is raised. And again, what allows this to happen is the starter dough. So this goes back again to sear. What is sear? It is that starter dough. And she spoke about the starter dough, what starter dough was, how it was made. And um, that is what we're focusing on now. So starter dough, as we've already heard, is high, it says, in fermentation, Or it contains a high concentration of yeast. So when we speak about seor, especially from a biblical standpoint, it's important that we, again, understand what it's referring to historically. It is referring to a sourdough starter starter that would have been very acidic, very sour, that they would have used, again, to produce comets, used to produce leavened bread, as we find scripturally. This is, again, how the Israelites would have produced their bread. I want to look at a few more definitions now. A few more definitions. This is from the New mongers' Bible Dictionary under 11. It says a Hebrew term seor occurs five times, only five times in Scripture. So we don't see this word too often. Most of it's in... In fact, I believe all of it is in the Torah. It says in four of which, Exodus 12, 15, 19, 13, 7, Leviticus 2, 11 through 11. We're going to see that. We're going to review each one of those, by the way. It is translated leaven. And in the fifth, Deuteronomy 16, verse 3, is leaven bread. At the NIV translates yeast... And each of these references is probably denotes the small portion of dough left from the preceding baking that had fermented and turned acidic as distinctive meaning as fermented or leavened mass. So again, notice that what they would do is they would take a piece of dough from the previous bake or bread, they would save that, it would become acidic or sour, and they would use that then for the next loaf. It's very simple, not complicated but this is how they produced, again, their bread, and it was produced with seor. Now, I emphasize this because this is was critical to understand. We will not understand a seor if we do not understand the process of how they baked their bread and how it worked. So another reference here is in Nielsen's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. It says a substance used to produce fermentation in dough. So notice that fermentation, this is what leavened the dough. It says, and make it, and, and, uh, make it rise. In Bible times, leaven was usually a piece of fermented dough retained from a previous baking that was placed in a new dough to cause it to rise. It's not complicated. They would again save a piece of that old dough for a new dough, which would then leaven that new dough and would produce bread or would produce comets. It is not a very hard concept, but this is a concept that we missed because we were focusing simply on the leavening agent. But the leavening agent is is not it. That is not seor. Seor is this concept of a starter, not simply just a leavening product. If it was, wine would have to be removed. But again, wine is found during unleavened bread. So we knew there was something missing. And what was missing is this concept of what a starter was, what seor really was. Seor is not a leavening agent. Seor is a sourdough starter that was then used to produce comets, a loaf of leavened bread. Again, very simple concept. It was something that escaped us for 20 years. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia also defines leaven. And again, this would be, there are two different distinct items. This is in bread making, the form of leaven used in bread making and the method of using it were simple and definite. The leaven consisted always, as far as the evidence goes, of a piece of fermented dough kept over from a former baking. There is no trace of the use of other source of leaven, such as the lees of wine or those maintained by Pliny. The lump of uh, dough, thus preserving preserved, was either dissolved in water in the kneading trough before the flour was added or was hid in the flour, the King James says, a meal. And uh, kneaded, kneaded along with it, as was a case mentioned in the parable, Matthew 13, verse 33... The bread thus made, also known as leavened, as distinguished from unleavened bread. So again, we see here that leavening or sear refers to a piece of leavened dough that was kept back from our previous baking and was then allowed to ferment further, again, becoming acidic, becoming sour, then used to leaven a new piece of dough. According to what it says here, there were two ways of doing this. One was to dissolve the sear, to dissolve that starter with water and then allow that flour to absorb that yeast, which would then rise that bread. The other way was to simply take that starter and hide it, put it within that new loaf, and knead it, mix it, and again, that would then leaven that new loaf of bread, thus producing comets, leavened bread. This is, again, how they produced their bread. So the starter, the ore, was the highly fermented acidic piece of dough, that, again, they would use to produce their leavened bread. For good measure, I want to share one more source, and then we're going to move beyond Seor. But again, for me, it's critical that we understand these terms, because that's where we understand what Seor is, that's how we understand what commits, and that's how we know what to remove and what not to remove during this very special time. So the Cyclopedia Biblical Theological Ecclesiastical Literature, say that ten times fast, it says seor occurs five times, only five times in the Scripture, and four of which, Exodus 19. I'm going to skip that. It is rendered leaven. Fifth, uh, Deuteronomy 16, 4, leaven bread. It seems to have denoted originally the remnant of dough left on the preceding baking, which had fermented and turned acidic. So again, we see here that even though there's nothing new here, it confirms what seor is. And seor is that starter dough. It is that piece of dough that was kept back, and allowed to become acidic or sour, that then would leaven that new piece of dough. Now, I could go on and on. There's many, many more references, but I'm not going to keep you here that long. But as we see, scholarship shows and defines seor. And seor is not simply a leavening agent. If it was, again, we would have to remove the wine because wine would have seor because wine has yeast, which is a leavening agent. But we don't have to remove the wine because wine is found during unleavened bread. And it's is is wine. It's not grape juice, it's wine. So that's the evidence we find for seor. Again, seor simply refers to a starter dough that would then leaven a new piece of dough, not complicated. Remember that if leavening again, uh, leavening agent alone was um, considered seor, uh, like yeast or baking soda, then... Uh, this would, uh, we would not see wine during Unleavened Bread. It's a very important point. I want to move on now and focus on comets. Komets. Comets, again, is not the same as Seor. We produce comets by Seor. Does that make sense? So we take our Seor, and with the Seor, we produce comets. They are not the same. For 20 years, we have combined both terms, as simply a leavening agent. And we've never dug deeper than simply a leavening agent. But if you dig deeper, you realize that there's more to this. And you realize that seor, again, refers to that starter, that sourdough starter, and chomets refers to that leavened product that was produced from that seor. You'll never forget seor or chomets ever again in your life. So let's dig into Chametz. Strong's defines this word as ferment, extortion, leaven, leavened bread. The Brown driver Briggs Hebrew lexicon defines this as that which is leavened. Exodus 12, verse 15, 10 times for it, but in a Passover, in all sacrifices, exceptions are peace offering and of the wave loaves. And we'll see examples of that. We'll see examples where. The certain offerings required leavening. So what do we learn here about chametz? We see that it refers to leavened bread. Chametz is leavened bread. In fact, if you would ask an Israelite, show me chamez, they would probably bring you a piece of bread. And they would probably only bring you a piece of bread, historically speaking. We also see here that chametz is forbidden during the Passover and leavened bread. We know that. We also see that it's forbidden during the uh, sacrifices, the, the offerings, except for two. And again, we'll see examples of this, but these would include the Peace or Fellowship offering and also the uh, two wave that were offered during Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks of Pentecost. From this, how does Chames differ from or Again, Khames would be the leavening product that was leavened through Seor. So we have the Seor, we have the leavening agent, we have the sourdough starter, we use that sourdough starter to leaven that new piece of dough, producing bread. So again, Chames is produced through Seor. Here's how the Cyclopedia, Biblical, Theological, ecclesi- Ecclesiastical, Literature I can't even say it twice. Literature defines Komets. It says Komets uh, ought, ought not to be rendered a leaven. So that's interesting. This is not to be rendered a leaven, but leavened bread. You see, it understands a distinction. It is not simply a leavening, leavening agent. It is leavened bread or a leavening product. In Exodus thirteen verse seven, both seor and chametz occur together and are evidently distinct. Unleavened bread, uh, uh, matzah, shall be eaten, and that and that's we'll talk about that as we go through. But matzah is what we eat during the feast of unleavened bread. There shall uh, and it says, and there shall not be seen with the fermented bread chametz. So again, fermented bread chametz, and there shall not be seen with the leavened dough seor, in all thy borders. So we see here that Chamesh is not simply leavening, it is leavened bread, it is a leavening product, it is the product that is produced from the seawe. in other words, it is again the leavened product that we then receive when we use that sourdough starter. The main example of chames again, is leavened bread, fairly simple, in fact, I don't know if we find, scripturally anyway, another definition or another example of Chamesh, but for our leavened bread. I don't know of it. In fact, we'll see every instance. I'm going to dig into every place, every passage we find this in just a few moments. And we're going to find that in every instance, it's always related to unleavened or leavened bread, never to something else. It's always leavened bread. So that is the meaning of chametz. It's important to understand that there's a difference between sior and chametz. And I'm being a bit repetitive, but I believe it's important because we must understand the differences between these two very simple words. When we think of sear, we should be thinking of a sourdough starter. When we think of komets, we should think of a leavening product, a product that is pre- produced with a sear, along with some sort of grain. I want to take a moment and talk about how the Jews understand sear and komets. They've never viewed, by the way, baking soda yeast as leavening. They will keep this within their homes during unleavened bread because it is not sea or, and it's not chomets. It is neither. And we'll talk more about that, but I want to share, this is from kabod.org. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, kabod.org. It says, uh, chomets, also spelled chomets, or uh, chomets, is any food product made from wheat, barley, rye, oats, or spelt, that's the how they categorize grain, that has come into contact with water and been allowed to ferment, and rise. So it says here that chametz is any food, any food that is produced with what grain that has been in contact with water and allowed to ferment or rise. So based on the Jewish understanding of uh, leavening, we find here the four things are really needed, and we discussed this amongst the group who reviewed this to be considered chametz. Number one, it needs to contain grain. It needs to contain grain. Grain would include, again, based on the Jewish understanding: wheat, barley, rice, oats or spelt. Those are the grains that would be included. Number two, it needs water. It needs water. Number three, it needs access to a leavening agent, But as we know, a leavening agent is, is all around us. Yeast is all around us. Yeast, yeast is within us. We just simply need to let that dough sit there for so long and it's going to begin to ferment. And number four, it needs time. It needs time. So grain, water, leavening, which again is around us, and time. That is what we need for chametz. According to many Jews, it takes a piece of dough right over 18 minutes to become chametz. With this in mind, if we took some flour and added some water to it and then allowed that piece of dough to sit on the counter for more than 18 minutes, the Jews would consider that as chametz, as leavened dough. Now, again, because commence requires all of these items, a leavening agent alone is not considered commence. It's not considered or It is simply a leavening agent. Just a leavening agent. For the six of us who reviewed this, this was the epiphany. If we had any, any epiphanies, this was the epiphany we had. It was always, again, our belief that a leavening agent alone was considered or commence. But after the study, we realized that, again, Leavening was seor and Chemetz, and seor was that starter, in the Chemetz was a leavened product. And a leavening agent alone is neither. In fact, here's what it says in Wikipedia. I always have to include Wikipedia. It's under Chemetz. It says, Chemetz is a product that is both made from one of five types of grain that has been combined with water and left to stand raw for longer than 18 minutes. So there's your time. I'm sure some very smart people came up with that 18 minutes. According to most opinions, it becomes leavened. That's according to most, 18 minutes. Leavening agents such as a yeast or baking soda are not themselves khamets. Rather, it is the fermented grains. And that's the key. It's the fermented grains that is seaworthy or or khamets. It is not the leavening agent. It is the fermented grain that is considered c or, or chemes. Rather, again, sorry, I think I already read that, uh, fast yeast may be used in winemaking. And again, we know yeast can be used because we see yeast within the offering during first fruits during unleavened bread. So again, we see in the source that chemes is when we combine grain and water and time. And when, with a yeast in the air, will then produce the chemes. Of course, say 18 minutes, whatever it is. But that is how they define this term. We also see here that a leavening agent, again, like yeast or baking soda, itself by, by itself alone is not considered chames. Now, if we took that yeast and combined it with grain and water, then we would have chamez. But you need all the all of those elements. One alone is not enough. You can have grain in your home during a leavened bread. You can have yeast. Or baking soda in your home during unleavened bread. And as long as you don't combine yeast and grain during unleavened bread, you're good. But the moment you combine yeast and grain during unleavened bread, now you have sior and chamez. And now you are in violation of the word. I want to move on now, move beyond the definitions, look at the examples we find within scripture. I only have about an hour left. I don't know, maybe I'm, that, might, that might be about right. No, I don't have an hour left. Uh, so Exodus 12, verse 19, it says, Seven days shall there be no leavened seor. So we're going to first focus on seor. Again, how many examples? There was five. We've already looked at one. So Exodus 12, verse 19, Seven days shall there be no leavened seor found in your houses. For whosoever eats that which is leavened, and I believe that's comets. And by the way, would we would we ever eat seor? I'm going to see how many bread makers we have in the room. We would never eat sea or In fact, Josh said, here's a spoonful of seor, sea of that starter dough. So we all took a little bite of the seor. It's very bitter, very um, sour. So uh, we're not going to eat seor, but we will eat comets. Uh, it says, even the soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. So we see here that we're to remove all the seors from our homes, and that were to eat no leavened, or nothing leavened. But notice again the emphasis on eats. I want to focus on that for just a moment. Okay, we have another example of this, Exodus 13, verse 7. It says, Unleavened bread, matzah, shall be eaten seven days. So we find that matzah were to eat for seven days. And there shall be no leavened bread. Bread, I believe that's Khmes, be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven sea or seen with thee in all thy quarters. So we find here that we're not to have the leavened bread, chametz, and we're not to have leavening, that sourdough starter, seor. it says in all our quarters. Now the word quarters is from the Hebrew gebal. And uh, cabal simply means uh, boundaries or territories. I would define this as our homes. We should not have seor or chametz within our homes. Leviticus 2.11 says no meat offering, and what's another word for meat offering? Grain offering. That's one of my, my uh, concerns with the uh, King James here, but it says meat offering. So it's really a grain offering, which you shall bring unto Yahweh shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering to Yahweh made by fire. So we find that no leaven or seor is to be used for a grain offering. And this is true, again, of all sacrifices, of all offerings except two. And we'll see those examples as we go through this message. Now, it is interesting here. It says, it shall be made with leaven. It shall be made with seor. So we find that seor is that acting agent that produces the commits right? As a Key passage here. I think it's an important clue we find here that shall be made with no leaven, made with no sea or made with no sourdough starter, it says, if we understood and understand it from a historical uh, perspective. One more Deuteronomy 16, verse 4 and there shall be no leavened bread, sea or. Now, this is a one example where sea or is defined as leavened bread, probably should be leaven, in my opinion. Seen with thee in all thy coast seven days, neither shall there be anything of the flesh which shall sacri- which thou sacrifice the first day, even remain all night until the morning. Now the um, so again we see here that no seer is to be seen within our coast. Again, the word coast is uh, gibol, and uh, gibol refers to our territory, refers to our our land, our boundaries, our homes, our properties. So we're to remove this. In fact, it kind of reminds me, sometimes we'll get the question, can we put our leavening in our shed and just store it for the week and then bring it back in? Where the answer would be absolutely not because we're to remove it from our boundaries, from our territories, from our properties, from our homes. We should not, some some of the Jews, it's my understanding, they will sell their leavening and then buy it back. There's a deeper spiritual meaning to all this, and one of it is what leavening represents. So we should never bring back old leaven that we've removed during this time of the year. So let's now focus on Kemet. That's the four additional examples of uh, or of uh, Seor. So here's the examples for Kemet. 1219, seven days shall there be no leaven found in thy houses for so that which is leavened, Kemet. So it is leavened, it is Leaven with seor, even as soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. And as we saw in verse nine, we as we see here, we uh, see that we're to remove again the uh, chametz during unleavened bread, that we're to remove it during this feast. What is the penalty for those who who refuse? who defer to do this. What's the penalty? Well, it says here that those who forsake this command, that they're cut off from the congregation of Israel. As believers, it's important that we do our very best to ab- abstain from eating, leavening, or chametz during this feast, and also to remove it from our properties, to remove that seer, or to remove that chametz, and not to eat of the chametz. If we do, Scripture says that we're cut off. It's a very important command Reminds me in some ways of what we find with Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Anybody who does any work on Day of Atonement, it says, is cut off. And we find here the same penalty. Anyone who partakes or eats of the Chametz during this time is cut off from Israel. 12, verse 20 says, You shall eat nothing leavened Chametz, and all your habitation shall eat unleavened bread. So again, just as we saw in verse 19. We see here that we're not to eat anything Chametz. I want to point out just one more time, maybe not one more time, but point out again that we see this concept of eating Chametz. We don't see drinking Chametz. In fact, I looked it up. There's a different word for drink or drinking in Scripture. It's Shaka. And it has no relation. We find it in no connection with. See or Kemet, it's nowhere to be found within these commands, but it is there in the Hebrew. Okay, Exodus 13, verse 3, it says, Moses said unto the people, remember this day in which you come out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand Yahweh brought you out from this place, there shall no leavened bread, chametz be eaten. So again, the same thing, Scripture is simply saying that during this time, we're not to partake of chametz. On, or uh, leavened bread. Leavened bread. So notice, in every instance, nearly every instance, it specifically defines this as leavened bread. It doesn't define it as anything else but for leavened bread. Exodus 13, verse 7, and leavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread. We've already read this, but that leavened bread, again, is comets with, uh, be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen in all thy... A few things I want to point out here. Number one, it says that we're to eat again unleavened bread for seven days of this feast, this matzah. Now, how does the New Testament define matzah? It defines matzah as sincerity and truth. You see, there's deeper meanings with this feast. There's a reason why Yahweh commands us to do this, and it's not simply to simply eat unleavened bread. We're to remember what this unleavened bread symbolizes. And the unleavened bread symbolizes sincerity and truth. I'm not going to go through all the symbolism of leavening, but leavening, generally speaking, does not symbolize positive things, sin, hypocrisy, things of that nature. It also says here that no comes or seer should be seen within our quarters or, board, uh, or borders during this time. So again, we're to remove this from our homes. Exodus 23, verse 18, it says there, Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with a leavened bread, chametz. neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. And as we saw in the Brown Driver Briggs, we see here that no leavened bread or chametz was to be included with the offerings. Now, there were some distinctions. There were some uh, uh, exemptions to this. Again, one was the peace offering or fellowship offering, and uh, one was the uh, two loaves that were offered during Shavuot or during the Feast of unleavened Bread. We're going to see examples of those as we go through this list. Exodus 34, verse 25 says, I shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. And we know that it was a sacrifice. It would have been a grain sacrifice there. It would have been comets. So we know based on the fact that it was a sacrifice, it would have been bread. Neither shall the sacrifice of the Feast of the Passover be left unto the morning. So again, just as we saw in the previous example, we see here that chametz could not be used within a sacrifice, except again for the two mentioned. And we'll see examples of that. Leviticus two, 2 verse eleven, it says, "No meat offering, grain offering is what it should say, which ye shall bring unto Yahweh shall be made with leaven, chametz. For you shall burn no leaven, seor, nor any honey in any offering made by." Fire. Again, a better name for this meat offering is grain offering. As we see here, no grain offering allowed for chametz, for anything leavened. It was unleavened. It was always unleavened, with the exception of the two items I've already mentioned. Now, some, it mentions here honey. Based on this, some ask, is honey something we should be removing during unleavened bread? While well, honey can be used to um, expedite, if you will, the leavening process, honey on its own is not a leavening agent, and it is not considered se or, or chamez. For this reason, there's no need to remove honey during this time, but some do ask that. Another example is found in Leviticus 6, verse 17. It says, It shall be bacon with leaven chamez. I have given it unto them but for their portion of my offerings made by fire it is most holy, as is a sin offering and as the trespass offering. So, again, we find here that it says, it shall not be bacon with leaven. You will not use leaven for these offerings. And it then mentions specifically which two offerings. It mentions here specifically the trespass offering and the sin offering. Now, what were the sin and trespass offering? The sin offering was for an intentional sin, and the trespass offering was for intentional sin. So we find here that with the trespass and the the sin offering that that Israel was not to use leavening during these offerings. This was to be removed or not included. It was not to be baked with leavening. Leviticus 7 verse 13 is another example of where we see Chamez. It says, besides he cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread. Notice that. He shall offer for his offering leavened bread, Chamez, with a sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. So this is very different from what we saw previously. In all the examples previously said no leavening with the offerings, no leavening with the sin offering, no leavening with the grain offering, no leavening with the trespass offering. But here it says that we should be using leavening during this offering. Now what is the offering we're focused on here? The offering we're talking about here is, again, this peace offering, this fellowship offering. So during this offering... Leavening was specifically allowed and required, unlike the other offerings. Let's look at one more example. Actually, I think we have a few more examples. Thirteen examples, in fact. Leviticus 23, verse 17, it says, You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves, of two tenth deals. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon, or baked with what? It says they shall be baked with leaven. They shall be baked with comets. They are the first fruits unto Yahweh. So what are we talking about here? What is this passage referring to? This passage is referring to the first fruits offering, to the two loaves that were offered during Shavuot or Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Yahweh said, you shall make two loaves for me and you shall wave them on this day, on the Feast of Weeks. And we see here something very unique. It says here, requires here that they were to use leavening. We know for the Feast of Unleavened Bread absolutely no leavening was allowed. Now here we are 50 days later from the wave sheaf during the first fruits of Pentecost when they would offer this, Pentecost, or again Shaviot, they are required to use leavening. So leavening is not always bad. There's certainly positive things about leavening. We know that there's positive examples. Not many, but there are some positive examples about leavening in the New Testament. And the fact that Yahweh use, uses leavening within some of the sacrifices shows that they are redeeming values of leavening. Two more examples here. And this is precisely what we did, by the way. We looked at every example. We looked at the Hebrew. We looked at the definitions. We understood the context. And we understood All again, which I found amazing, all came up with the same conclusion without any collaboration, by the way. No, 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 no collaboration, no speaking. Deuteronomy 16.3 says, Thou shalt eat no leavened bread, commence. With it seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith. Even the bread of affliction, for thou came forth out of the land of Egypt in haste that thou mayest remember the day when you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. So again, this passage is simply referring to unleavened bread. And again, we see here that we're to remove, we're not to eat the uh, chremets. We're to remove this from our homes during the seven days of the feast. One more example, Amos. Amos 4, verse 5 says, and offer a sacrifice, a thanks offering with leaven. So again, we see another offering. It says, a thank offering, the peace offering with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free will offerings for this, like you, O ye children of Israel, saith my sovereign Yahweh. So again, we see here the peace offering, and the peace offering required what? The peace offering required eleven. So again, leavening was used in two, two types of offerings, but everything else it was prohibited. I want to review some of the highlights. We've talked about a lot here. So I want to just kind of summarize some of the items we've Reviewed. So in the Old Testament, the word sior is found five times, and the word hametz or chametz is found 13 times. Referring to the sourdough starter and leavened bread, respectively. During the Feast of Leavened Bread, we're commanded to remove all sea and chametz from our homes or boundaries. During this feast, we're commanded to eat unleavened bread, matzah, and abstain from eating leavening or leavened bread in the form of seor, hametz, or chametz. And again, I emphasize here the focus is always on eating and not drinking. Except for the peace offering, the two wave loaves offered during Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, no seor or hametz was to be used within a sacrifice or offering. So those are the things we know. That is what we can ascertain from Scripture. So from all this information, how would we define a seor? How would we define hametz? So I have some definitions here. Oh, by the way, here's how I would illustrate seor and hametz. If I would go and ask an Israelite, I don't know, let's just say 4,000 years ago, and I'd say, can you show me an example of seor?" They would bring, I don't think they had the closed jars there, but they would bring probably in their kneading trough uh, something that looked a little bit like that. It would be a sourdough starter. And if I said, show me an example of chametz," or more than likely they're going to bring a loaf of bread. Maybe it wouldn't look that nice. But they would bring a loaf of bread. So these these are examples, I believe, of real life examples of what the Israelites would show us if we would ask, "Show me an example of seor in chametz." So how would we define these terms? Seor we're defining as a piece of highly fermented or acidic dough or any other grain derived leavened product that might be used to leaven dough, much like our own sourdough starter. Hopefully that makes some sense to you. So again, it is. This highly fermented acidic dough; it is a sourdough. That is what we define and how Scripture defines a seor. Comets is any grain-derived food product that has been leavened by seor or a leavening agent, and that would certainly include today, whether that be natural or chemical. So many, in fact, most of the leavening agents are not natural leavening agents; right? they are chemical leavening agents that we use now. They're not natural. Yeast would be natural. Most of the other leavening agents would be more chemical leavening agents. But they too would be considered a leavening agent. And if they were used with grain, they would again be considered comets. Now, the main example again of seer would be sourdough starter, and comets would be leavened bread. But keep in mind that this would also include any other item that may not resemble bread contain both grain and a leavening agent. Let me give you an example. This is from my personal life. You're going to know my daily routine now. About 10 o'clock in the morning, I get a bit hungry. So I pull out my Quaker's granola bar, and I have one normally every most days. And uh, there's two flavors. My favorite flavor is peanut butter. And there's also a chocolate chip. That's the more common one. I normally get the peanut butter. But my wife noticed last year that the peanut butter flavor has no leavening. The chocolate chip flavor has leavening, has baking soda. So while both products contain oats and whole wheat flour, only the chocolate chip flavor contains grain combined with a leavening agent in the form of baking soda, I believe it was. So again, during unleavened bread, we would have to remove the chocolate chip Quaker Oats granola bar, but I could keep my favorite flavor, my peanut butter Quaker's granola bar, and continue to enjoy those during oven bread. So again, any food product containing grain, whether it be wheat, barley, spelt, rye, or oats, along with a leavening agent, whether that be baking soda, yeast, whatever, would be considered commets. Would be considered chametz. This is why it's important that we review the food items we have in our homes, and again, we remove these items because Scripture says if we eat chametz, if we have a seor, that He says we're cut off from His people. Now, we've talked a lot about leavening agents. I haven't yet given you a list, so here's a list that we've um, developed through time through this ministry. So here are some leavening agents, yeast, bakers, yeast, active dried yeast, baking powder, baking soda, cream of tartar, ammonium carbonate, ammonium bicarbonate, potassium carbonate, potassium bicarbonate, dipotassium carbonate. Say that ten times fast. So these are all leavening agents, but keep in mind that these leavening agents are not leavening, not alone. They're not alone. So there's no need to remove these leavening agents from our homes during the feast. Now, there's one caveat. In our study, and we really delved very deep into this, in our study we discovered one anomaly, and that is with yeast packets. So this isn't yeast per se. There's nothing wrong with yeast, but it's yeast packets. And let me explain. So based on the research we did, there are some yeast packets that would be considered sewer because of how it is manufactured. How it is manufactured. So what they do is they manufacture essentially yeast cake, a yeast cake, and they will then make, they will break that yeast cake down into powder, and that powder is what we have within our yeast packets. So the source of that was seor, because it was a yeast cake that they broke down into the yeast that we buy within the packets. Now, not all of them have this, but we are suggesting to remove all, so... It's hard to know how they're made. The um, organic ones especially were uh, made of grain. So, again, they would make this yeast cake with grain and 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 uh, yeast. They would then break it down into powder. So, again, the original source would be considered a yeast cake. So, for this reason, we suggest removing yeast packets. But, again, for the other leavening items we find here, leavening agents, I should say, there's no need to remove it. Uh, baking soda of its own is not... Leavening. It's a leavening agent. It is not leavening. It is not seer. It is not comes. It is not leavening. So there's no need to remove it. So let me ask, what what can remain during unleavened bread that was previously disallowed, at least by this ministry? So here's a few items. Uh, There's no need to remove leavening agents. that cannot be used as a starter in their current form, baking soda, baking powder. We've talked about that. There's also no need to remove alcohol unless there's evidence that it can be used as a starter. Now, there are some that can. Most can't. The following alcohol contains no yeast in its final form and therefore would not be considered sewer because, again, or must be able to leaven something, right? There's no yeast remaining in these products. Vodka, gin, tequila, Irish whiskey, bourbon, schnapps, most wine, and many commercial beers. I'm not a alcohol expert by the way Just, I, want, I don't want you to get the wrong impression I took this list in fact I took this list from a site a uh, website uh, uh, that focuses on yeast allergies yeast allergies so it has to be fairly accurate if there's yeast allergies I didn't know there was such a thing as yeast allergies so again I'm not an expert with these alcohols some people may be listening to this and say boy he knows his out." no I don't but um, these are the alcohol items that, that would be uh, kosher during unleavened bread. Also, non, no uh, non-food items with a leavening agent, such as a toothpaste with baking soda, would be fine to uh, keep during unleavened bread. Now, as a side note, I, uh, because, again, I'm not an alcohol expert, I contacted several breweries to verify because I've heard somebody told me that most beers, commercial beers, they filter out the yeast or they make it inert. So I contacted several. I thought about reading those, but I thought maybe I'm dwelling too much on alcohol, so I'm not going to include those. You'll just have to take my word for it. But I contacted several breweries, uh, major ones like um, Coors and whatnot. And Anyway, they verified most Beers, commercial beers, either kill the yeast or, or uh, make it inert during the uh, brewing process. There are some exceptions: Pellel, porter, stout. Evidently, there are, there is a yeast that remains; it's active yeast, and uh, some of it could possibly be used as a starter. So, just keep that in mind. Most commercial beers are good. Most wine is fine. All the. Um, uh, other alcohol that I mentioned is, is okay. Um, now, I will say if you're going to keep wine or commercial beers, I would encourage you to call or, or to verify and make sure there's no active yeast. Again, the majority, the large majority of, of commercial beer and, and, and nearly all commercial wine uh, would not have any active yeast and could not be used as a seor or as a starter. Now, before I close, I want to address one more question, and that is grain substitutes. Grain substitutes. So grain substitutes include quinoa, rice, almond, other nuts, coconut, tapioca, and sorghum. And again, I'm not really an expert with this either. I looked it up. Google is amazing when you do that. So these are considered grain substitutes. Now, even though grain substitutes are technically not grain, so the Jews, they will define Khametz as grain plus leavening agent and water and time, But they're okay using grain substitutes. So, for instance, they will take some quinoa flour or they will take some rice flour and they will combine that with baking soda and they will make a nice puffy piece of bread And they're okay with, now I'm not saying all Jews are, I'm not sure exactly, but I know certainly some are, many are. And um, even though grain substitutes, as I have here, technically are not grain, we believe using these products with yeast or a leavening agent to make bread or pastries would be in violation of the spirit of unleavened bread. Keep in mind that unleavened bread is all about that puffy bread. Now again, I do believe that we should remove any product that has a leavening along with grain that fancy granola bar I mentioned that would be an example there's no puffiness to those granola, granola bars but we should remove them because again it has grain and a leavening agent but I also believe that would extend to, to these items that are considered grain substitutes because again you can produce that loaf of bread you can produce that pastry and you can do so using a leavening agent so again for this reason I believe it would be against the spirit of the law and violation of the law so we would encourage us to, uh, to avoid that. Okay, I'm going to give just a real quick summary. And then uh, we will wrap this up. So we find that wine was used during the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the form of an offering. So that's what started, this way, that's what began this journey for us. This shows that a leavening agent like yeast on a stone is not biblically considered a leavening. The two words for leavening are leavened bread within Hebrew, Seir, and Kemet's. From a biblical standpoint, sea or refers to a piece of highly fermented or acidic dough or any other grain-derived leavened product that might be used, a leavened dough, much like our own sourdough starter, so that would be sea or khames would be any grain-derived food product that has been leavened by sea or a leavening agent, whether that would be natural or chemical. With the exception of yeast packets, a leavening agent alone is not considered a sea or khames, because again, sea or khames, they include both the leavening agent plus a grain. Plus a grain. So just one more time, if we have a baking soda in our home during unleavened bread, if we have grain in our home during unleavened bread, both are kosher to have as long as we don't combine the two. But if we combine the two, now we have chametz, And now we are in violation of Yahweh's word. And the last one here, since most alcohol does not contain active yeast and cannot be used as a seer or sourdough starter, it is not considered seer and can remain during the feast, uh, during the feast of unleavened bread. You know, throughout the study, I was reminded that as believers, we're to prove all things. And that's what started this study. We are committed here this ministry of looking and understanding and proving what we believe, even when we're wrong. We have held to this for 20 years, but we could not explain why wine was included within this offering. So we went back, we examined as as a team, and again, I'd like to thank those other brothers who helped in this endeavor. It was a huge help. I believe it also validated uh, it was a great validation for Alder Allen and myself, so I'd like to thank them. But again, as believers, we should always be willing to look into these items, be willing to question, and we believe that we certainly better understand this concept of see or in as, loving, what it is, what it is not, And it's important because it directly impacts how we observe the Feast of the Love of Bread. So I pray that this has been a good, uh, a great message, a blessing to you. And uh, with that, may Yahweh bless you.